Whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you are producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com, the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm super, super excited to have my next guest here, who is also a friend. Uh, So you may uh, be able to uh, notice that in our communication as we go back and forth here a little bit. But Mike Greenberg is the ESPN host, uh, also the author of the brand new book, which I have here if you're looking at it on the video got your number, which is so, so good. Just to give you a little bit of background on Mike, in case you're not familiar with Mike, as I mentioned, he is an ESPN host and also 
the new author, or actually a, a serial author, but the author of the book, Got Your Number, uh, but he's been among the signature faces and voices of many, many shows uh, for a quarter century. He's currently the host of Get Up, but also NBA Countdown, Greeny, and Better Days. And he previously co-hosted Mike and Mike with Mike Golick. And Mike is the author of several New York Times bestselling books. But this is his first sports book, which I thought was really, really surprising. Probably will surprise a lot of people who know Mike as well. But I'm excited to hear all about his career and how he got there. And then, of course, we're going to dive into this incredible, incredible book. So welcome, Mike. Thank you so much, Kara. It's very nice to see you. It's been a long time. I know. I know. Very excited to have you here. So, okay. So before we get into hearing more about your new book, I'd love for you to share with everybody a little bit about your uh, your career, your dream career for so many. I'm sure uh, you've, you've had that question when you were back at Northwestern speaking, like, how the heck do I do what Mike does, right? Uh, so can you share a little bit about how did you uh, how did you decide you wanted to be a sportscaster and and you know jump in to have this dream job? Sure. So I grew up in New York City, and my family we were sports obsessed. We were about as dysfunctional as your average family, I suppose. But the one area where we always could communicate was about sports. Both of my parents were um, obsessed sports fans. Um, my mother remains one to this day. My dad is no longer living, but my dad dedicated his first book to Joe DiMaggio and the book had nothing to do with sports, but that was just his idol as a, as a boy who grew up in the Bronx. So I grew up in that household and all we cared about and talked about was sports. And so I always knew I wanted to do something if possible in or around sports. Um, and the coverage of sports from a journalistic perspective seemed like the only opportunity at that time. And so I went to school for it. And then when I got out of school, I had a few fortunate things happen. I started working in local radio in Chicago and the timing of things. You just you never know how these things. I remember reading, I forget which Malcolm Gladwell book it was now, but I'd have been outliers, but how fortunate people are sometimes that things happen in the time in which they happen. So when I graduated from college, it was 1989. That was the same time that the first all sports radio station in America launched WFAN in New York, and it had great success. And so like in any other business, it was, there was a copycat element. And so I was living and working in Chicago. And in 1991, they started the first all sports radio station in Chicago. And I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And one thing led to another. And before I knew it, I was covering and traveling with the Michael Jordan Bulls, uh, home and road pretty much every day when I was 24 years old, which was one of the great breaks you could ever possibly imagine. And I worked locally in sports in Chicago for seven years. And then another fairly, not fairly, another extraordinarily fortunate timing thing happened, which is that in 1996, ESPN decided to start to launch a new sports network called ESPN News, which was going to be the, the best analogy I could make to it would be what CNN headline news was to CNN. That's what ESPN News was to ESPN. And they hired a bunch of young people from all over the country so I was 29 and I got hired to be an anchor at ESPN. And again, the timing of it worked out really well. And then um, 
one thing led to another when I wound up on the radio show, Mike and Mike, you were talking about, and that, you know, did, we did quite well with that. And so we did that for a number of years and, and now have moved to a few other opportunities, including hosting the NBA. But um, what I think is I've, I've been thinking a lot about this and I know that your podcast is not about sports. It's, it's more about your business background and your entrepreneurial background. And one of the things that I think, um, and, and, and some of the stuff that I really like, by the way, which is some sort of the spiritual stuff that I see you do, particularly on Instagram and whatnot. But um, one of the things that I say a lot is that any really successful person who does not acknowledge good fortune as a factor in their success is either lying to you or they're lying to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you it's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn, quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip, Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. 
Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. I've had plenty of that because I am very, it is not lost on me that I am just one of literally millions of sports obsessed kids who grew up in this country in the 70s and the 80s. And the fact that I get to be the one sitting in the middle of all of this sometimes still doesn't always feel real to me. Um, And so it is a dream job. And I just hope I don't wake up anytime soon. Do you feel like it's hard? I mean, I feel like it's such a natural fit for you. And that's that's something that I think people strive for when they're thinking about careers. Here's, here's how I would answer that. So what I always tell, we know each other's children for the, for, this, yeah. for, for people who don't. So what I always say, so when I talk about my kids, you know who I'm talking about. So, so when I, what I have said to them in the past and to their friends who are interested, I always say the most important element of any professional endeavor for a person is happiness. So that doesn't mean that it isn't sometimes hard, but it does make me happy. And anything that makes you happy, I think by definition, is going to seem a little bit less hard. Like the things about my job that are hard, one of them, you mentioned the show, Mike and Mike, we went on the air at six o'clock in the morning. That was a radio show. My alarm was set for 3.40 a.m. every weekday for almost 18 years. That's hard. Right when the alarm is going to go off at three forty in the morning, you have to adapt your entire life around that, um, and uh, and 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 it is just generally hard. But here's what I would say: waking up at three forty in the morning to go do a job you love is hard. Waking up at three forty in the morning to go do a job you did not love would be impossible, at least for me. I could never have done it. So, I don't know if that specifically answers your question, but it's what I thought of when you asked it, which is to say. There are parts of my job that are hard, sure, but that would be the truth for everyone. But that even on the hard days, I don't not love it. And I think that makes it in its own way a lot easier. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, and you're also, you're a storyteller. As we mentioned, you've got multiple books, and I'm sure there's so many stories uh, that you've heard along the way from incredibly impressive people that seem super unapproachable, uh, maybe to some, but you've been able to uh, to gain their stories along the way. And I think that that is also probably something that really inspires you, right? Where you're meeting people. I mean, you mentioned uh, Michael Jordan. I mean, that's a dream, right? Right after, especially for you being a sports fanatic, uh, right after college. Uh, what's your favorite Michael Jordan story? So my favorite Michael Jordan story actually took place when he was playing baseball. So I, I don't know that everyone will remember this anymore, but in, in Michael Jordan played in the NBA until 1993. And then he retired prematurely, very, very young. And he went off to play baseball for a year and a half. And the station I was working for sent me off to cover that. So I traveled around and just followed him around from place to place playing baseball. And he really struggled in baseball. Now, this was a man who was the greatest basketball player that ever lived. And I watched him win the gold medal at the Olympics in 1992. And I watched him win NBA championships in 91 and 92 and 93 and be the best player in the world. And then he went to baseball, a place where he was quite far from being the best player in the world. Frankly, in almost every game that I saw him play, he was the worst player on the field. Um, and uh, what I, the, my favorite lesson that I learned, and I tell this story anytime I speak at any kind of graduation or anything, is when he was, his first spring training, he was playing for the White Sox big league team in Sarasota, Florida, which is where they used to have their spring training. And he was something like over his first 18 or 19. He didn't get a hit in his first 18 or 19 at bats. And it was, it was humiliating. It was embarrassing. My heart ached watching it for him. And Sports Illustrated did what turned out to be a very famous cover at the time that said Michael Jordan and the White Sox are embarrassing baseball. It was, he was really receiving a lot of criticism. And um, I was, there was one night they were playing in a tiny little ballpark in spring training on the west coast of Florida. And it was a rainy night. So I think a lot of people thought the game wouldn't be played, but it was. So there were only a couple of hundred people in the stands. And there were three reporters in the press box, of which I was one. And the, the reporter from the Chicago Tribune, the Chicago Sun-Times, and me. And Michael Jordan got fooled on a pitch and swung sort of out of his shoes and wound up hitting a little dribbler up the third baseline, right? Just imagine a ball that just kind of just comes off the bat and kind of trickles up the third baseline and he beats it out for a base hit. So we finally got a hit. So after the game is over, we, the three of us, go down to the clubhouse. And the other players on the team are pouring beer on him, like in a celebration, which is a baseball tradition. They're all pouring beer on him. And we asked him, you know, a few questions. And then we're leaving to go file our stories. And as I'm walking out, something moved me to turn back and look at him one more time. And I'm so forever glad that I did that. Because what I saw is Michael Jeffrey Jordan the most beloved and famous person in the world in a tiny little cramped locker room, smaller than my high school locker room, baseball pants, no shirt, stripped to the waist, covered in cheap beer, baseball bat over his shoulder, cigar in his hand, unlit. And he had a look of satisfaction and happiness on his face that was the equal of anything I had ever seen. Again, bear in mind, I watched the man win gold medals, win NBA championships, literally climb the tallest mountains that exist in sports. And the lesson in that I've always taken is that, you know, in life, 
celebrate the dribblers. Like you are what I say to these kids at graduation, you are not going to graduate from college every day of your lives. You are not going to get engaged to be married every day of your lives. You're not going to have a baby every day of your lives. But there will be little dribblers you hit up the third baseline worthy of celebration if you will only look for them. So my advice always is look for them and celebrate them wherever you can. And so, look, Michael Jordan, I saw him have a lot of great moments, but that is the one, believe it or not, that sticks with me the most. I love that. So, so many incredible stories. And you go on to share a lot of those stories in your book, Got Your Number. So why did you decide now to write a sports book? Like, how did you come up with this idea? So it literally was that. So I have always wanted to do a sports book, and I never had the idea. Um, you know, I host radio shows and television shows where you need to be able to fill a few minutes with a particular idea. It, to fill an entire book, you need an idea that is big enough for that. And I've just never had one that I thought was interesting enough. And then one day, this happened to be at the height of COVID. So you'll remember what those days were like back before anything had opened. I was There were a few of us that were still going in to the office every day. We never stopped doing our show. But my staff of 18 people, there were only four of us in the building and everyone else is working from home. And then after the show was over, we would all just sort of sit around for a while because there wasn't anywhere to go and anything to do. And because we were just at the end of the day, a bunch of sports geeks, we started having a conversation about how many Hall of Fame quarterbacks all wore the same jersey number. This is the stuff we find interesting. <laughs> um, and, and, and it was the number 12. So the number 12 was worn by, among others, Bob Greasy, Terry Bradshaw, Roger Staubach, Jim Kelly, Joe Namath, Tom Brady, and Aaron Rodgers. And one person in the room says to me, yeah, Greeny, they all wore the number 12, but who owns the number 12? And literally in that minute, a light bulb went over my head and I finally had the idea. So the idea for the book is that sports are so intrinsically about numbers. Numbers are such an incredibly important piece of, of fabric. They tell, or excuse me, of sports. They tell the story of sports maybe more than they do of almost anything else. And um, so what I did was with the help of my, the, my researcher extraordinary, has been my right hand for 10 years, who did all the research for this, I decided who owns every number from one to 100 in the history of sports. And with his extraordinary research, I wrote 100 chapters. They're, they're each about 500 words, so they're like two to three pages, easily snackable. So um, anyone who is interested in sports, it, it then becomes about sports debate and sports history. So if you are a big sports fan or someone you know is, might be a good gift for them. Because the debate part comes in because I made some decisions that people will disagree with. I chose someone for the number four, and maybe someone else would think, no, it should have been this other person. So that's where the debate piece comes in. You might disagree with the choices I made. But then the history part comes in, whether you agree or disagree, um, every single person, even the most ardent sports fan, will learn things they did not know from this. The research is so extraordinary that you will learn things about Babe Ruth and Michael Jordan and Willie Mays, and Wayne Gretzky, and Bill Russell, and the most famous people in sports history, about whom so much have been written, Muhammad Ali, Tiger Woods, Serena Williams, um, Billie Jean King. I'll give you a great one here. And, and anyway, so there'll be a lot of sports history in the book, and I'll give you the one I love about Billie Jean. So we gave Billie Jean King the number 73, because it was in 1973 that she beat Bobby Riggs in the Battle of the Sexes. And you could make an argument that that's one of the five most important sporting events of the 20th century. 
uh, the number of people, particularly but not exclusively women, who to this day, I have seen Hillary Clinton interviewed talking about how important that night was to her and so many other incredibly accomplished, again, not only women, but I think largely women because of the of what the, the night symbolized. Um, Seventeen magazine, a year after that, which obviously has an overwhelmingly female readership in those days, did a poll of its readers asking, who do you consider to be the most admired woman in the world? Who do you admire the most of all the women in the world? Golda Meir was the prime minister of Israel. Hmm. She finished second. Billie Jean King finished first. That, that's the kind of um, research that we found in the stories that we tell in a book like this. Billie Jean King, I had the privilege of introducing her at an event one time, and they gave me her bio and said, here, choose anything you want from this. And I just started to laugh as I read it. I've introduced a lot of people. Very few of them have been named one of the 10 most important Americans of the 20th century. So um, those are the kinds of stories that we have in the book. And I think people, even those who consider themselves great fans of Chrissy Everett, Martina Navratilova, who are in the book, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, who are in the book, I think anyone will learn things about them they did not already know. No, and that's what I felt too, that it's not only a fun book, but also a trivia book. I mean, it made me... Uh, it, it definitely gave me all kinds of ideas about people that I knew their name, but I didn't really know what they were known for and certainly didn't know their jersey numbers necessarily or their scores. But it was uh, it was super, super interesting. You also talk about generations and how that uh, how age could play into how people uh how people respond uh, to opinions on things, which I also thought was fascinating. Can you talk about that a little bit? This is a big thing in sports. So if my father were alive, my father, to give you an example, my father would have so strongly disagreed with some of the positions I took in this book, with some of the people I chose, that he would, I mean, he would have called me the second it came out and started yelling at me <laughs> over some of the decisions I made. And then if I had not chosen Joe DiMaggio for number five, he would not only have stopped reading the book, but he would have called up all his friends and told them not to buy it. That, that's how passionate he was about things. But, the, the, um, but, but that then becomes a generational piece. Okay, so for the generational piece of that, when I talk about the greatest basketball player that ever lived, I talk about Michael Jordan. My son, Stephen, who you've met, um, was a basketball player all through his life growing up. He considers the greatest basketball player of all time to be LeBron James. Mm -hmm. And in every conversation about LeBron James, I bring up Michael Jordan in exactly the same way that every time I talked about Michael Jordan, my father would bring up Oscar Robertson because that was the Michael Jordan of his youth. And as I write in the book, everything was better when we were younger, if only because we were younger and thus had more time. So I think if, if, if you find me a sports fan, if you find me a, a, a sports fan who is the age of, of, of your daughter, Caitlin, or my son, uh, my daughter, Nikki, um, you you go ask any of the of the kids that they went to camp with who were crazy sports fans. I guarantee you, I can tell you who that how they will answer certain questions, and how they will be different from the way I would answer those questions, and from the way my father would have answered those questions, based exclusively on our age. And I think that applies to a lot of other things, but nothing more than sports, because. Um, sports is ever evolving almost more than anything else is. Context is important, but the history moves so fast that I think where people stand on almost any sports issue can 
more than anything be traced to how old they are. Definitely. It, it's, uh, it's such an interesting um, perspective. So in the book, you, you basically foc- you focus on 100 numbers. And, uh, and sometimes, I guess, how many of those were actually on jerseys? Because obviously, uh, Chris Everett isn't wearing a number, but she's known for a number. How did you sort of think about this and define it? So that was, that's, that's, that was a really interesting day. So when we, but my first idea is that we would do the book and it would be the Jersey numbers. And then as we were sitting, Hembo and I were talking about the process. I, I said to him, so does this mean we're going to do this book and not have Muhammad Ali in it? Does this mean we're going to do a book and not have Billie Jean King in it, Serena Williams in it, Tiger Woods in it? Like, are we only including athletes from sports where there are Jersey numbers? that was limiting us. So we decided we could find creative ways to include other athletes. So someone like Billie Jean King, for example, we gave the number 73 based upon the year that she won. The number 60, which is one of my favorite chapters, is shared between Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova. They share it together because the argument I make is that they are the greatest rivals, the greatest rivalry in the history of sports. They met 60 times in the finals of tournaments alone in the finals. Now, by comparison, you and I are close to the same age, and I don't know if you were a tennis fan growing up, but I was. So Chrissy and Martina were the big rivalry on the women's side. Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe were the big rivalry on the men's side. To give you an indication of just how frequently Chrissy and Martina played each other, they met 14 times in the finals of Grand Slams alone. Finals of Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, the French Open, or the Australian Open. The biggest tournaments, finals. Borg and McEnroe played each other 14 times total, ever, in anything. Chrissy and Martina, their rivalry is so much richer than anyone else's, so we gave them the number 60. So the answer to your question is, the book has 24 football players, 20 baseball players, 14 basketball players, 9 teams, 5 Olympians, 5 boxers, 5 golfers, 4 hockey players, 4 tennis players, 3 coaches, 2 drivers, and a horse. (laughs) <laughs> that's those are that's how that's the distribution of the 100 numbers. So, uh Chris Everett by the way, I grew up in uh in Scottsdale and she used to play at the Village Tennis Club and I I did play tennis. I was uh it, but Chris Everett always had she had her own court. So we got to actually see her play whenever she was home. So as a kid, seeing her there was just incredible. I mean, we would just sit there and watch her in awe. I think she was one of the first people that I remember watching close up saying they make it look so easy, right? That it's just, and and I still believe that to be true, that when you, it doesn't matter what sport it is, it's just, you know, the people that are really good, uh, you know, it's just fun to watch them. Not only that, but as a boy in the 70s, I will tell you, and, and, and my wife, Stacy, whom you know, obviously, and I have become close friends with Chrissy over the years. Um, she is the first woman I ever loved. My first yeah. crush <laughs> was on Chris Everett. I, I loved her. Um, and and I have said that to her many times. I say it unashamedly. Um, and she rem- she continues to just rule. You know, she's had some health stuff, but she's doing great. And um, she rocks. Long before okay. this was a thing, she was, to use an expression that w- did not exist then, she was a badass before that was a, that was a word anybody ever used. Well, tell her uh, that I 
talked about the village tennis club. So she <laughs> will, she will remember and she definitely inspired me for sure. So, uh, Joe DiMaggio, you mentioned him and, uh, and there was a debate between five or 56 uh, right. for him. So what was what was that about? So so the number 56 was a tough would have been a tough choice to make because Joe DiMaggio, he wore the jersey number five. That was his number for the Yankees. And, and so that's the number in, that he has in the book. He also has what I think is probably the most famous and beloved record in all of American sports. So something that people who don't know sports, well, I, I think almost anyone would know this now. The home run records have been largely, or by in many people's view, discredited because of steroids. In, in, in recent years, that's been an enormous controversy that almost all of the home run records in baseball, which were always the really famous records held by Babe Ruth and, and Hank Aaron and people like that, they have all been broken by players who were clearly using uh, performance-enhancing drugs that were against the law and against the rules of the sport at the time. And so those records have been, to a, a large degree, invalidated. They are no longer revered in the way they used to be. So the two most, I think, the two most beloved and revered records in American sports today are Cal Ripken's consecutive game streak. He played the most consecutive games uh, of any player ever, breaking a record that had been held by Lou Gehrig. And then Joe DiMaggio got a hit in 56 consecutive baseball games. That was a record that he set in 1941, and no one's even come close to breaking it. And it is a beloved record. So people who know and love baseball will associate that number with him. So the question was, do we give him 56 or do we give him five? We could have given him the number 56. But as it turned out, we had a player we wanted to give 56 to, which was Lawrence Taylor, the great uh, football player for the New York Giants. And so we wound up giving him a 56 and we gave Joe DiMaggio five. But the point is, if we hadn't gotten DiMaggio in the book at all, I'm telling you, wherever he is right now, my father would have come back to 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 he would have called a press conference yeah. to say no one should read my son's book. He has no idea what he's talking. <laughs> I love it. That's that's awesome. You know, it. there's many people listening who uh think about entrepreneurship and, you know, there's no overnight successes. It's a lot of work. I think it's the same for uh, these athletes. Are there any overnight successes that you can think of? And when you think about these athletes that really stand out? No, uh, the, 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 sports in that regard is largely not completely because there are still inequities um, of a variety of sorts, but for the most part, it really is a meritocracy. You're either mm -hmm. good enough or you're not. This mm -hmm. is, there is no, well, you know, my father was on the board and uh, there's none of that stuff. You know, you're either good enough or you're not. You can either play or you can't. You you are either, you know, it's, I mean, the, the ultimate example of that, let's just use the most famous recent person, Michael Phelps. Like you either swam, you were the first one to touch the wall or you weren't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's no, there's no in between. You're either the fastest swimmer or someone else was the fastest swimmer. And um, as a result of that, no one gets there by accident. Like you, you don't get there by being a vlogger. You don't get there by being an Instagram influencer. You don't get there by, um, you don't get there by accident. You get there with tons and tons and tons and tons of work. Um, and the other thing that I find interesting about it, an observation I've made, I don't know. 
now that I think about it, I probably should have tried to get this part of it into the book somewhere. And I'm not sure that I actually did. Um, but the one thing that I have found is I have spent 30 years covering professional sports is the differentiator more than anything else is not who's the fastest, who's the strongest. It's who's the smartest. The, 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 what separates the great ones is the intelligence. So there are a lot of guys who are fast enough and jump high enough. I'm not talking necessarily about track and field, right? Either I'm faster than you or you're faster than me, and there's not a whole lot else to talk about. But in, in, in sports like basketball, football, baseball, and all that, there are probably 500 people who are athletic enough to make it for every one spot that exists. And so the, um, the, the separator, the differentiator is intelligence. And that if, if the, the thread of commonality amongst all the great ones is intelligence. If you spend some time around Wayne Gretzky, around Michael Jordan, around Magic Johnson, um, around uh, Derek Jeter, these are the, the way their brains function are fascinating. And it's not necessarily the same kind of intelligence. It doesn't mean they would have gotten straight A's at Stanford, but there is an intelligence about what they do that is beyond that which anyone else has. And um, like, I'll give you another one. Like golf is my personal favorite sport. The best golfer is not the one who hits it the farthest, right? There are plenty of people who can hit it way farther than Tiger Woods can hit it. But Tiger Woods won all those because when he's standing over a putt that's 20 feet away from the hole and $10 million are riding on the outcome, he'll make it. Yeah. where other people can't. And that's what separates him and Jack Nicholas and the other great, great, great ones from the merely really good ones. And, um, and so, so that was a long answer to a short question. There's no shortcut to that. There's no accident. There's no overnight, um, uh, nothing, uh, nothing meaningful. It's, 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 I think it's basically impossible to do. Well, and they all seem to have some naysayers out there too, that, and they just get back up. Right. And well, they thrive on that. You yeah. know, I, I, there, there are, there are two different kinds. So that, that's an interesting one. Sports is so public and because of the nature of it, and it's worse now than it's ever been because of gambling. So let's just say for the sake of argument that you're watching a team, I know where you live. So let's say you're, you know, you're watching the, the 49ers play and, and the 49ers quarterback. Uh, now you happen to, in San Francisco, they've had some great quarterbacks, right? Joe Montana, Steve Young, all time greats. But, you know, if, if Joe Montana makes a huge mistake that blows a game, and if you make a huge mistake at work one day, um, you know, there will be consequences, but there won't be newspaper articles about it, uh, you know, immediately. And there won't be people in this day and age, thousands of people on Twitter tweeting awful things about it immediately. And people won't scream at you and boo you as you walk around, you know, doing your job. So these athletes do have that um, element to deal with. And for some of them, that destroys them. Mm -hmm. For some of them, that just gets in their heads and they can't overcome it. For most of the really great ones, that stuff turns into fuel. That stuff turns into high-octane gas. Michael Jordan would find ways. Michael Jordan would find a way. If he was playing against you, you can have said nothing. You can do an interview in, in which someone asks you, what, how do you feel about going up against Michael tomorrow? And you can say, well... He's a great player and I need to be at my best. And Michael will hear that and he will say, did you hear what she said about me? 
Did you hear that she said that if she plays her best, she's better than me? She said that she's, you know, and he'll just, uh, he'll just make stuff up for the sake of getting angry because it, that is where he finds his motivation and that is where he manifests his greatness. And it has been my experience that most of the really great ones operate that way, that they actually thrive on the naysaying and, and on the criticism. And, um, it's, it's a fascinating psychological dynamic. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So what you, uh, name Wayne Gretzky, uh, I'm not giving away the whole book, but you name Wayne Gretzky as the greatest athlete in the history of North American team sports. So probably a bit controversial for a few people, but I'd love to hear you chat about that a little bit and share your opinion. I think he is. And, and, uh, we're certainly not giving anything away. Any book about numbers that didn't give him the number 99, you should immediately discount. Uh, they have retired that number across the entire sport. No hockey player will ever wear 99 again because he was so good. And the reason I say that, and I'm one who reveres Michael Jordan, and I believe Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player that ever lived. I believe that Babe Ruth is the greatest baseball player that ever lived. I believe that... Um, I don't know. You, there, you could argue so many different people for football that you can't even really narrow it down. The point is that there are legitimate arguments to be had about that. You could argue that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was a more accomplished basketball player than Michael. There are some now who will say they think LeBron James is a better basketball player than Michael. And on and on that would go. You could say Tom Brady is the greatest football player that ever lived because he won the most championships. Other will say Jim Brown was the greatest player. Walter Payton, Jerry Rice. There's other names that you could put into that mix. Babe Ruth. There were reasons to diminish Babe Ruth. He played at a time before the sport was integrated. Maybe you think Willie Mays is the greatest player. You could have all these debates. No one will debate that Wayne Gretzky is the greatest hockey player that ever lived. There is no one who will disagree with that. If you ever hear anyone say that anyone besides Wayne Gretzky is the best hockey player that ever lived, just be aware you have met someone who doesn't know anything about hockey. Uh, and there's no one whose valid opinion would even entertain that. And so that's the justification that I use for saying, I will say Gretzky is the greatest player in the history of team sports. You can't compare them to individual sports. They're totally different. Mm -hmm. How do you compare Wayne Gretzky to Serena Williams, to Michael Phelps, to, you can't do it. Phelps is the greatest swimmer ever. Serena is the greatest tennis player ever. You have to keep individual sports and team sports separate because the criteria are so different. But when it comes to baseball, basketball, football, and hockey, which are the four primary North American sports, I think it is inarguable that the greatest player of them all is Gretzky. What was the average age of a person that by the time you sat there, you look across all of these, like, it, do you, can you, th- what would you say? Well, so you can't really, it, it was, I mean, so, some of the people are long dead, you know, who are in this right. book. So um, like, like, for example, um, so, so the, the age that they were when they sort of earned their way in, it's kind of hard to say. So golfers, for example, the greatness of the golfer is usually determined by their longevity. One of the reasons that people consider Jack Nicholas to be the greatest golfer that ever lived is that he was 46 years old when he won his last Masters, uh, by far the oldest ever to win that tournament, the most famous golf tournament in the world. No basketball player is ever going to be playing at the age of 46. The fact that Tom Brady was playing in the NFL at the age of 46 this past year was ludicrous mm-hmm. and unheard of. Um, so the age piece of it, most of them are, you know, as, as is the case with most athletes are much, much younger. But then again, it, there, in this case, there is the whole disparate range of eras. So 
Babe Ruth is in the book and he played in the twenties and the thirties and Jesse Owens is in the book and he, he, for his, what he accomplished in the 1936 Olympics and, um, you know, on through Babe Dietrichson came then in the forties, um, who is uh, probably the greatest female athlete that ever lived. And then into the, you know, into the sixties and Muhammad Ali and Bill Russell and people like that and Will Chamberlain, and then into the seventies, which is more the area, the era in which I, um, you know, started becoming a sports fan and there were players there. So, and, and, and all the way through to the modern day, there were active athletes in the book. Steph Curry has a number in the book, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, um, who else who's active is in the book. I'm trying, I'm sure there are people I'm forgetting. Mike Trout yep. is in the book. Um, there are a few others. So, um, you know, the age and the eras really span the entirety, certainly the last hundred or so years. So I uh, was so excited uh, that you didn't have to remove a toe uh, along the way. Uh, so the Aaron Rodgers conversation, what, what does that uh, name mean to you today? It means hope. So <laughs> for those of us who, are, who, who take our sports disproportionately seriously. So the first book I ever wrote was a book called Why My Wife Thinks I'm an Idiot. And um, otherwise known as Every Husband's Autobiography. Um, the, 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 one of the things that I wrote in there was that the reason that those of us love sports, those of us who love sports the way I do, the reason we do is because there's nothing in the world better than investing everything into something that means absolutely nothing. And at the end of the day, somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm well aware that the outcome of the football game I'm watching doesn't actually impact anything. And yet while it's going on, it is overwhelmingly the most important thing in my life. And I think that's very healthy, actually. Um, having said that, the New York Jets have been my obsession all of my life. I, I, my parents had season tickets before I was born, and they have never been in the Super Bowl in my conscious lifetime. They, 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 won, they have only won one Super Bowl. They've only been in it once. They won it once. Joe Namath was the quarterback, and I was one year old. So my parents, according to them, I was watching the game, but I don't have any, obviously, any recollection of it. So... So all my life, all I've wanted was to see it. Actually, as sort of on a on a slightly sad note, all I I used to say all I want is to sit next to my dad and watch the Jets play in the Super Bowl. And unfortunately, I'm never going to get the chance to do that outside of, um, you know, in spirit. But uh, now I'm getting worried about my kids. Like <laughs> I now I hope they get to watch the Jets play in the Super Bowl with their dad. I'm not as young as I used to be. So the Jets are a, a really really good football team with just terrible quarterback play. And we are, as you and I have this conversation, on the verge, it could happen any minute, of uh, finalizing a trade for Aaron Rodgers, who's one of the best quarterbacks that ever lived. And it is not hyperbole to say that the Jets become a legitimate contender to win the Super Bowl for what would be the first time in my conscious lifetime. So as they both know, my children both know, that if that happens, because Nikki is the older one, she gets to choose. She is, she's going to have to either legally change her name to Aaron or Rogers, whichever one she wants. And Rogers could be kind of a cute girl's name. So she could become Rogers Greenberg or she could be Aaron Greenberg. And then my son, Stephen, will be stuck with the other one. I will rename my children, which is the highest honor that I can give. I would name a child after Aaron, but I'm not having any more children. So I'm just going to have to rename the ones I already have. True story, the Jets had a quarterback named Chad Pennington, and when Stevie was born, I wanted to name him Chad, and Stacy would not allow that, so that's how he became Steven. 
not that there's anything wrong with the name Chad, but I, that was what I wanted and she didn't. And so that was, I got voted down on that one, one-to-one as usual. But anyway, um, but so the point of the story is that um, if Aaron Rodgers comes, maybe we win. And that would be a really, really, really cool thing to see happen. That would be incredible. Well, you touched on uh, how sports creates family memories. And uh, you, and I loved that aspect in the intro of your book, too. It made me really think about that as well. That's the best part of it. Like, there was a day, the first Jet game. So I grew up going to Shea Stadium, which no longer exists in Queens, New York, with my father. And we went to every game. Some of my favorite memories of my childhood on Sunday, cold December Sundays in New York, I'd get up and my mother would just start putting clothes on me. I literally would go to these games wearing everything. My mother would put like three thermals and two pants and the ski jacket and the ski hat. And the th- And my dad and I, we had a blanket that we kept in the trunk of the car just for the jet games. And we'd go, we'd sit at Chase Stadium, we'd cover ourselves in a blanket, we'd watch the whole game. That was my whole childhood. So when Stephen was old enough to go to his first game, he was three, we took him to a game. And we sat there and I've got Stevie on one side of me and my dad on the other side of me. And I were watching the game. And I thought to myself, this is a day, if you love sports, then this is a day you don't get at a movie, you don't get at a Broadway show, you don't have this experience anywhere else but at a game. And I'm, I love both of those things. I love Broadway and, 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 and I enjoy movies, I guess, as much as anyone else. But there's, for those of us who love this stuff, there's nothing like that. There, there's nothing more meaningful than that bond that we all share. And as I said, my mother very much with it as well. My mother grew up walking distance from Yankee Stadium. I think I mentioned this already. And, and she had an uncle who took her to games all the time. And, and in fact, when, when my parents, there were times they couldn't watch the jet games in the same room because they'd start fighting. They would both get so anxious and into that, that, but they literally would go watch the game in separate rooms because they would start. They both, my mother is the most knowledgeable sports fan I know. Uh, she, she to this day knows more about sports than I do. And um, so, so, you know, when you grow up in that family, when that is your culture, then there's nothing more important than that. And so those are the best memories. And, and, you know, when our kids were little, Stace and I took them to games all the time, particularly baseball, because that was easy and fun. And it's in the afternoon and it's, you know, in the spring and the summer. So the weather is nice and you go sit at Yankee Stadium and watch a baseball game. And it was the best, the best. And, um, you know, those are the best memories I have. And I, I hope that my kids would say the same thing. I hope that that both of my kids would say that some of their favorite memories of their childhood are of of watching games with their father. That's incredible. Well, such a great book and so appreciate you coming on. Everyone needs to get this book, got your number. And uh, thank you again, Mike. Really appreciate uh, it. I miss you. It has been too long. Please say hello to everybody there. And, and I hope that our paths will cross again much, much sooner. Yes, definitely. And we'll have all the info in the show notes as well. So thanks everyone for listening. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. 
just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey, including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023. And goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.